0: will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches in PR and marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics, from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Are you hiding from the numbers in your business or not sure how you should manage your stock and really optimize your sales? Then today's Start, Scale, Succeed episode is for you. I'm chatting with Sarah Johnson, merchandising expert who has over 20 years experience working for retailers like ASOS, River Island and Debenhams. Thank you very much Sarah for joining me today. Thank you Nicole, it's a pleasure to be here. Now I've, I've done a very quick introduction to, to who you are but if you could go into a bit more detail and uh, explain to the listeners what it is and what you do.
1: So I am a merchandiser by trade and most people think when they hear the word merchandiser that you just do the visual side which is really important but isn't what I do I do the numbers bit so I walk around with a very big calculator most of the time and I am aiming to grow your sales your profit and therefore your business so that's why I'm quite important to small businesses absolutely and how do you work with small businesses now so we sort of do two um, ways of working within Flourish the retail company I've sent up so It's either a sort of DIY approach. So for those of you that are starting out on your business journey, we've got sort of tools and free resources which can help businesses to do their own pricing and tracking sales and planning and that sort of thing. And then we also do bespoke consultancy. So that's if you're slightly bigger. Um, and you've got a lot of sales data in your business, but actually you don't really know how to put it into any meaningful context. Um, so we just help you get the best out of your data so that you can make some real profitable decisions.
0: And we'll come to that um, a little bit more as, as we go along. And um, so obviously, Sarah, you have worked in the industry for a very long time. Now, we're, we wanted, I want to talk about numbers specifically and I know that you said in terms of it's looking at your sales growing your profit what are the numbers that um retailers need to be paying attention to and I know you might say absolutely everything but what are the ones you know (laughs) that they need to be really focusing on so
1: the key ones obviously everyone focuses on sales and it's the first thing that everyone looks at um but I guess there's two um aspects to sales so there's your total sales you've sold 10 dresses this week Um, And then there's something that we call net sales. Um, And net sales is after you've taken returns into account. So this is a really important one. Returns is an important number um, because it means that you are obviously having product back into business. It's impacting your profits and it's also having an impact on the experience of the customer. So it's an important one to look at from those two angles. So if I sold 10 dresses, but I got five back, then actually in reality, I've only sold five. Whereas if I sold eight tops and got one back, I've sold seven. So in fact, my tops are actually better than my dresses in that respect. So it's a good way of looking um, at how your products are actually working.
0: And if you're a purely econ business, what would you expect? What should you kind of build in as a returns percentage?
1: So it depends what sort of product you're dealing with. Normally with clothing, um, around a sort of 20 percent returns percentage is actually pretty good um, yeah. and you'd expect it to fluctuate as well based on the nature of the product so if you're doing like really oversized garments that don't have aren't fit critical then that percentage tends to be lower. Whereas something like a jumpsuit or trousers normally ends up being a bit higher because obviously it's more fit critical to the customer. Um, If you're doing other, so jewellery tends to be a lot lower than that because a lot of it isn't returnable. If it's like earrings and things like that, and also again, not fit critical. So it depends, but it should be sort of 20% or less in theory on the returns piece.
0: It's still quite like 20% is still quite a high amount for for you to consider, isn't it? yeah sales okay great and what are the other ones that people should be looking at so
1: sales sales. yeah and then profit is the really key one um there's the old saying of sales uh vanity profit is sanity so you could be turning over a hundred thousand pounds in your business but if you're only making 10 pounds profit it's not really doing anything exciting Mm. so that's the really key one Um, and i always say to the clients that it's maximizing the profit so it's getting as much profit as possible from every unit of stock that you're selling Um, and then the other one that I think is quite important and not a lot of people will look at is stocks so actually understanding how much of your cash flow is tied up in stock in the business and also understanding the relationship between the stock and the sales so you can have if you work out the sort of mixes so if you've got 100 units of stock and 10 of those were on your dresses then you know 10% of your stock is on your dress area. And if you compare that to your sales, you can see if things are underperforming because you've got more stock than your sales or overperforming because actually your dresses are flying compared to how much stock you've got. And that, once you look at those sort of top line things, you can then really drill down to sort of the product level and understand what it is that you need to react to and take action on.
0: Yeah, I think that's really key, especially for small businesses. It's really important that you're not buying flat if you can help it. So, what I mean by that is, if a retailer, you know, if a supplier says to you, "Oh, it's 300 unit minimum on every single item," that you're not, you know, if you can, you're negotiating that down on and buying more in what you feel that is going to be stronger for you or better for you. Because you're either going to be chasing, you're either going to be left with stock, or you're going to be chasing your tail, trying and and then missing out on sales. So, I think that it's it's that happy balance, isn't it, in terms of finding that happy medium. Or that that balance, finding that happy medium between um, having enough stock, having too much stock, and then um, and that cash flow in your business. How often would you suggest to to brands
1: to be to be looking at that?
0: So it's like the cash that, flow and their stocks and, yeah. and sort
1: of things. So really, it's something that you should be keeping a constant eye on. Um, a lot of the brands that we work with, we sort of do monthly trading for. And so we would look at it at that point and then decide what action we needed to take off the back of that. Um, I think it's so you always and we'll talk about planning probably later, but you always start off planning your season. you like, lovely, that's great. But the other big part of the merchandiser's job is to trade in season. So once the stock is coming into the business, then it's important that you, again, just keep making as much profit from the stock that you've got. So it's like exactly what you're saying, Nicole, in terms of like you want it all to be on a nice, even keel. You don't want too much stock in one area and not enough in another. You're aiming to sort of keep it all still waters, basically, yeah. is what you want with your stock and your sales.
0: And I think as well, you know, if you can, asking suppliers, you know, even though you have may have to buy a certain quantity, asking suppliers to hold some of it so say you've had to buy 700 units or something you know taking in 300 first asking them to hold 400 just even for that three weeks or four weeks so you've still paid your deposit but you've not had to outlay for your balance and then you can get that that feel for you know how fast those sales are in that category and do you actually need to bring in the 400 you could you could you split that into two separate, you know two shipments of 200 yeah. and it's about like you say it's kind of keeping the cash in your business rather than someone else's business so I think a lot of people just blindly you know some brands I've spoken to they're buying they're they're bringing in too much stock up front and they're like well I've got my stock for my season now but it's like yeah but it's all sitting in the warehouse you don't need you've paid for it it's not now making you any money and it's actually you know it's it's costing you money because you've had to pay you're paying for it already and you're paying for it in the warehouse you know it's sitting there that's
1: the thing you're paying for the storage. So yeah. Although you're like, oh, I have to pay for it at some point, you're actually already paying storage on that stock if it's sat in the warehouse. So it's a it's a double edged sword on that one.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think people, you know, I've you know, seen a lot on Instagram, some clients of mine, if, if and if they're struggling with sales, what would you say are your um, your top tips with if sales are slow? How can you revive that a little bit or what would you say to look at first?
1: So I think it's important to, again, understand what's working in the business because there'll always be something that's working. But often you'll make an assumption about what's working as well. Um, Even I do this, like when the tools that I have, I'm like, oh, it's definitely that one that's selling the most on my tools. And then you actually look at the numbers and you go, oh, it's actually not. So that's a really key one that actually look at the numbers because they will give you a definitive answer on what's actually working. Um, And then within that, then look at your pricing. So You should always be constantly reviewing pricing, especially at the moment with all of the costs going up. It's really important that you're keeping on top of that because it's so easy for your profit margins in there to start to slide. Mm -hmm. But it's also part of what we've got a free resource on the website that talks about pricing. And it's not just setting the selling price. It's also looking at it in the wider context. So actually looking at your competitors, understanding have they put their prices up because their costs have gone up. So actually, are you justified to be able to put yours up because you're suffering the same issues. So part of that, and then also within that pricing piece, understanding what we call a pricing architecture. So looking at your entry prices, so those sort of lower end prices that sort of get the customer onto the website and can interpice that target market. Your mid prices, which often become quite a big chunk of your business and is sort of the bigger piece in the middle. But then also your higher price items as well, because people will often trade up, or it's got it gives you that as a brand, it gives you that USP, and while you while you wouldn't have a ton of stock behind those higher price items, they're still really important as part of your range to make it really cohesive. And um, so I think once you've sort of done all of that, it's potentializing those bestsellers. So it's about having a look and saying, well, actually, this is working really well. Is there room for another colour? It doesn't mean going and doing another 10 colours, because all that you will do is split your sales across all those 10 colours and you won't get any more out of it. But actually, if you've seen something else working or is a trend colour that's come through and you think that's applicable to that particular product, then that's definitely worth trialling and seeing if that works or it's a new size or a new shape or something like that, that you can really potentialise that area where you're seeing the demand. And then I think on the sort of one, what's not working, don't be afraid to sort of bin off products that don't work. Yeah. Don't your focus needs to be on what is working. Don't it's like nailing jelly to a wall. It's like it's if you just try everything, it won't work. So don't be afraid to cull those things on the margins that just aren't making you any money and it's still taking up your time. So, you know, sell out of them. Don't repeat them. And really condense that range down where you need to, which often feels counterintuitive, but is actually quite important. And then where you've got some product failure, because there's always some, it doesn't matter yeah. how well you plan, there's always something that doesn't quite work. It doesn't matter what, you think what level up. of buyer you're <laughs>
0: at. Well, you know, whether you've been in business for years where you've done it and I'm speaking from experience, you will buy a dog. You know, (laughs) there will be ones that you'll just be like, oh, my God, that's cost me so much money. I need to market that.
1: Yeah. Every time there'll be one that you don't expect to do that. Well, that absolutely flies. And then there'll be one that you think that's going to be amazing and it'll die death. So there's always those in the range. So, but there's ways of thinking about um, promoting it or discounting it rather than, so I hate blanket discounts. I hate them with a passion because all it does, it makes no difference to sort of the shape of your sales because you're just going to sell far more of what we're selling already. It never works. So it should all, any discount you do should always be really strategic and targeted at the products that are slow and need help to get moving but you can think about it in like quite original ways. So what you're trying to do is increase the average basket value that your customer spends with you. So, you know, thinking about multi buys or buy one, get one half price or spend and save to try and push people over thresholds, that sort of thing. So, Yes, discounting is really good, but you can also think about it in quite sort of different ways as well. That's quite enticing to the customer. But I always do recommend that actually if you know something is going into the sale at 50 percent off in your sale period, then just start taking 20 or 30 percent off, off it earlier, because actually in the long run, you'll make more profit than just holding on to it and it not really doing anything and then taking it to 50 percent off. Yeah. I suppose
0: just to explain that a bit more, if you've got a hundred units, and you might need to um to in here, but say if you've got a hundred units of an item, it's not selling at all, and you're retailing it at a hundred pounds, you know, but you know that you probably still sell it for a couple of weeks, you're better off taking 20 20 pounds off it and selling it 80 and selling it a bit better before rather than marking it all down to 40 and just selling out in a week, you know. Yeah. And like you're saying, so it it costs you it then costs you less in a markdown point of view so um and I remember one brand that I saw and they did a flash they did a sale that it was site-wide and they just sold out of everything and they did it at 50 percent and I just saw and I was just there was you know if that had been 20 percent they probably really would you know because if you think if when if you think that right I've got enough stock to I've got too much stock and it's going to last me 20 weeks if it continues to sell this way but then you can just tickle it a little bit And it can go down to like 14 weeks. And that might just be enough. If you still need it to be sold out in six weeks, then you can tickle it a little bit more and take another percentage off. But don't spend money on markdown and mark. and, And what I mean by that, don't spend money reducing stuff and taking money off your profit when you don't need to. Mm -hmm. So and I think for some people it's testing that, isn't it? And it's and it's learning. But like you say, I think great, you know, spend and save, multi-buys, bundles, you can do those kind of things without without looking like distressed markdown. And and, but also you can have a flash sale that lasts 24 hours and is your 50%, but just on items that aren't working, like trying to group them together in a if it's, I don't know, t-shirt bras or if it's sports shorts or whatever it might be, you could just target those items. Or put those in your spend and save or your bundles you know buy buy two full price leggings and get a short at 50 percent off mm. or you know 20 20 uh, off because then you're encouraging both full price sales as well as kind of clearing the, the yeah. stock that you've got and um and so would you say when people are marking down how um how far in advance should they be looking at so if they've got a problem how far in advance do you think that they should be looking at and what should be the, And I know sometimes this would be like, well, it just depends on how much stock you've got. But, um, you know, should they be trying 10% for it? Does 10% work? Do people only pay any attention to 10% or does it need to be like
1: 20, 25% more? I think normally it needs to be sort of 20% and upwards for it to make any real difference. Um, yeah the the way in which the idea is where we were talking before about you sort of everything should be nice and flat and there shouldn't be sort of big peaks sitting anywhere it applies the same applies to much sort of markdown and using that to flatten any curve you've got so you you want to be able to use that discount to actually bring like you're saying bring that cover down bring the number of weeks of stock you've got left and bring that right down mm-hmm. so that's how you use it whereas the other stuff that's at full price is still just ticking along quite nicely um, but normally we would, you know, start off the middle of the season. Once you've had a reaction to your stock, you'll quickly see whether or not products are working. But it's also really important on that to consider timing. So yeah. I've had it before when it's like, actually, we're trying to sell something. We're trying to sell a woolly jumper and actually we're in the middle of a heat wave. It's like, well, obviously we're not going to sell it. So context comes into it again there. And actually then taking it off the website and just saying, right, actually the cut-off point for cold weather product is end of March, April, because I just won't sell any then. But I can put it back on the website when we get to end of September, October. And to the customer, it feels like it's a new product again. So you don't always have to, don't always mark everything down. If you think it can live on or sell in a different timing, then actually that works just as well.
0: Yeah, and you can afford to hold the stock and that as well. And I think, you know, that's something for... People to think, you know, a lot of people have had supply issues and things coming in late. So just bearing that in mind if you're getting stock in late this year or you're getting deliveries, do you need everything in? Can you speak to the supplier about holding it? Or, you know, can you get out of some quantities if it's going to be very late so that you're not holding, you know, you're not taking in a large amount of stock to now sell in. You might thought have thought you had 12 weeks to sell it in, and it turns out you're only actually going to have six weeks to sell in, particularly if it's something that's very much Christmas themed or novelty Christmas themed. And you mentioned cover there. And I just want to explain, can you explain
1: for people that don't understand what the term cover is, what that is? So cover, it's a bit like a snapshot in time. So it's taking the stock that you've got and saying, if I keep selling the same number of units, how many weeks worth of stock will it last? So if we take the example where you've got a hundred units of stock and I've sold 10 this week, the 100 divided by the 10 will equal 10 weeks cover so that means that if everything kept plotting along nicely as it is then actually you would have 10 weeks and that stock would be sold out so it's a really good indicator to understand when you need to restock because if you know you've only got 10 weeks worth of stock left but your lead time is 12 weeks then you know you need to get more stock back in. Um equally, it shows you, you know, with the sale period and with things like Christmas, well, I've only got six weeks until Christmas. So actually, what am I going to do to try and speed that up and make sure that I'm not going to have more stock that I then have to take 50% off? Yeah, and of
0: that's that. where you kind of come in with that little tickle of the 20% mm. or the bundle or a flash sale. And then conversely, if it sells really well, and instead of, sell, instead of selling 10 units a week, you're selling 30 units a week or 20 units a week, and you're only going to have five weeks worth of that stock it's like right well what have we got coming in that I can bring up the supplier and see if they can bring in earlier or that we can buy a stock buy of or whatever to take that gap that's going to be left when that stock is sold out and how do you plan or how can you help plan for coming seasons
1: and where should you start so with planning for a season it's like you're obviously looking forward it's all new and exciting and then as a merchandiser I make you look backwards So you have to look at your history um, and understand what worked and what didn't. Um, So it's really important to see, sort of map out your sales. And if you're tracking your sales, that becomes really easy because it's all sort of done for you. And you can then see that at the end of the season. Um, what the other thing you need to but what we don't do is say right okay well my history shows that i took 10 percent of my sales on neon bum bags this year it's you're not going to go right i'm going to buy another 10 percent of neon bum bags because actually you know fully well that that trend has gone now and mm-hmm. you don't it's not relevant so again it's adding the context to the numbers so it's like okay well that trend has disappeared now so i'm not going to buy into the same trend but what am i going to replace it with what's coming through that actually will take the place of that um, so you're looking at are you going to increase an area because actually you didn't have enough stock last year so you could have done a bit more or are you going to drop an area back because actually you had to spend a load of markdown on it and clear it all out so you can then work out what your overall it's like building I say to my clients it's like building a house so you mm-hmm. kind of got your foundations at the bottom which tend to be the sort of volume product that you do your sort of entry price points that you sell a lot of volume on that keep the business ticking over and then you kind of build the rest of the house. So the, the walls and the roofs are sort of pieces that you feel quite confident in that you're happy to buy that. And then the front door and the windows are like your extra pieces. So it's the high price point pieces or the really trend led pieces that you want to have in the range for the excitement and PR and all that sort of thing. But you're not going to buy a ton of stock behind it because otherwise you could be there'd be a stock risk there. So it's important to sort of build up that sort of house, build up your building box of how you want to do it and have a sales plan. Mm -hmm. So then once you've got a sales plan, you know how much stock you have to buy behind each area. And that's really important because you you can often get carried away and be like, oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. And before you know it, you've gone and bought a ton of stock that you've bought, got you no bought no a ton idea. of windows and, doors yeah, exactly. and you've got no and foundation. Got, yeah, exactly. You've got nowhere to put them. And you're like, oh, that's not quite going to work. So it's the plan is really important so that then you buy t- what you need. And I think, especially in the current climate, considering things like cost of living, inflation, and all yeah. that horrendous stuff that we're talking about, it becomes even more important this season because you need to make sure that you've got a balance of entry price points, that you're not buying a load of stock behind really expensive pieces if they're not going to sell. So mm-hmm. all those macro elements also build into it. And I think my key thing for this season would be buy what you need, but where we were talking before about phasing stock in to do that because it helps with cash flow and stops you paying for extra storage that you don't need and de-risks it a bit generally because you're yeah. not sitting on the stock the supplier's still got it. And then it's sort of knowing then when you can rebuy. So actually, if you get a good reaction to something, you know what your lead times are. You know, you know, you can buy more at that point and trade it. So I think it's going to be really important about planning it properly up front and not being too bullish with it and then trading it in season to really get the most out of it. So looking
0: at the looking at your sales by month and then understanding what took those sales, is it? foundation product is it door product is it you know like what mix of it is so is it your bread and butter core items and there will always be your bread and butter core items in there it's just an understanding what they are and do you need to like how much of an update you need for those or a replacement you need for those and then like you say knowing what those like knowing what the windows and the doors are and, and how much that element is and i would definitely recommend because um you know, for those people that are going to trade fairs, no, and and that kind of thing at the moment, and anytime you're going to trade fairs or you're going to your showrooms, have that plan with you, have that framework. So you've got a bit of a shopping list, and like you say, you're not blindly going out and buying loads of doors and and windows. That you you know you have something, you have a framework that you you have your shopping list almost. And, you know, and remember, you don't need to, you can read, you can go back and buy on the spot. You know, you can go back and buy, you can go back and top up when you've come back and got all your numbers together from all the trade fairs and all the people, all the shows that you've been to or whatever it might be. And so don't feel pressured into it. You know, they will they that that brand will have that stock. You will, I'm sure, be able to get back into it. So kind of plan before you go, but then don't make rash decisions when you're there as well at the trade yeah, fairs absolutely. and at the shows. And um, What do you think in terms of planning for Black Friday? I know this. people now look at Black Friday quite differently and some people play into it. (laughs) Some people, you know, some people play into it. Some people don't. Some people are promoting from the week before whatever it might be any thoughts or tips on how people can use black friday to work for them
1: black friday is really contentious now i think especially because it's got the negative connotation around it of sort of the environmental impact of yeah. just trying to drive a load of volume and nothing else um i think the way i approach it with most of my clients is that actually we don't want to participate in black friday generally mm-hmm. um and because i work with a lot of smaller brands that are quite ethical and they've got that sort of usp as well and you know they're more individual brands and i think also with the bigger brands especially when i where i've worked previously you get sucked into that whole trap of We've got to beat the numbers versus last yeah. year. They've got to be bigger. It's got to be better. And actually, it's a really hard cycle to get out of because everyone then expects that discount and you it, it's very difficult. You have to work your way through the seasons to kind of back out of that, that secular thing. Mm. I think what I've done with clients previously is use Black Friday in a more strategic way. So actually, where we've reviewed sales at the end of October, and seen initial reactions and again using those cover calculations to understand how much more product you've got and how long it's going to last and then creating a story and saying this is what we're going to offer for Black Friday so it might be where you're talking about like flash deals things like that so actually one day only this product features then the next day it's this product but again it's really strategic and it's not a blanket discount yeah it's got to be targeted so i think that's a good way of using black friday to your advantage but not buying for it i think that's my key thing really i don't i don't normally advise anyone to buy for black friday
0: yeah and i just think it's so important that you don't have you know if you don't want to play into it you don't have to and you don't have to have something site-wide like you say something that's targeted and you know you can do other things you can do things that are green fridays and that you donate a percentage Mm. of profit to a you know ecology or plant a tree or whatever it might be or i or you only offer a discount to email subscribers So they have Mm. to use a certain code. So not everyone gets it. And that could be a way to get more people on your email list. So you might offer a discount. I saw um, what the brand, the sustainable underwear brand Panty did last year, was they actually shut their website for the day. But the only people that could actually buy and access the website were people that were on their email list and had a special code.
1: Mm. Because
0: around that time, people do want to buy because they're in that timeframe, because they're being bombarded by ads. So it's kind of like, how can you take advantage of it in that way that you know they're, they're poised to buy mm-hmm. without it having a very negative impact on on your your
1: brand or your profit yeah I think the profit's the key thing with that because it's like you might take less sales than you did last Black Friday but actually have you made more profit so that's the yeah. really key one to look at because you don't it's not necessarily about you know I've got to be bigger and better it's like well actually was I more profitable by doing it this way and I think it's like strategic, again, it's just, you know, you do it as you need to. And I think it's there's because of the backlash against it now, I think it's almost going to be easier for brands to think outside the box and do something a little bit more inventive rather than going down. I think the route of everyone does these and make like, you know, 50% off X, Y, and Z. I think that's kind of dying a death now. So, yeah, I think which is no bad thing. Yeah. I think so sick of it.
0: And um, you mentioned about um some of the things in your on your website how can what I want to kind of wrap up and ask how people can work with you because when I we talked before we started recording and I was like oh my god that's great that's amazing so if you can explain the services that you offer and I know that you have some lead magnets on your website so we're going to link those here in the show notes as well but if you can kind of do a brief um roundup of how you
1: work with brands that would be great yes cool so and um, one of the main things we've got on the website is a load of free resources. So it talks about a lot of the things we talked about today. so pricing, tracking your sales, planning your ranges, all of that sort of stuff is all on there and gives you some examples as well that you can work through. And then, what we also have are the tools to support that. So a pricing calculator where you can work through all your costs, the time it takes you to make the product, and then what your selling prices need to be sales trackers that give you all of that analysis so when we're talking about mixes it gives you all of that information on their range plans that do the same thing so when you've worked out what you want to buy you can sanity check all of that sort of things so those are for anyone that kind of want to give it a go themselves and they're They're quite affordably priced so that then they're not unaccessible for everybody. And then also what we do a lot of is sort of bespoke consultancy. Um, So where you might have a load of data from Shopify or Magento or Amazon, it's turning that into something that's meaningful. So it's not just pages and pages of numbers. It actually tells you things that will mean. Yeah, so that you can understand what actions you need to look at and how you drill down and look at things. So we do a lot of those reporting projects and then also planning from that so the idea is that we give you that shopping list and say right this is how many you need to buy this is roughly how many so that you can go away and buy it with a bit more confidence that you're not over buying or or under buying um and then yeah so it works quite flexibly that's the idea is that it suits you and what you need for your business
0: because you know as much as you might like buying the pretty product and you know choosing the colors and deciding on the ranges you know if you don't have your numbers sorted you won't be doing that buying a pretty product for as long as you want to be doing you know so it is just so so key and Sarah, your website and your instagram account um
1: it's flourishretail.com and instagram is also flourish retail and i'll put those in the show notes as
0: well but thank you very much sarah for joining me today and i hope you found that useful everyone that's listening and if you have i'd love for you to leave a review and subscribe i'll be back again next week with another guest and thank you for listening